When I was living here in Olive Branch, I remember that the highway department started setting out magnolia trees. After all, Mississippi is the magnolia state. They started at the Mississippi-Tennessee line on Highway 78 and came this way. How many of you remember that? Just a few of you. Not sure how many of those trees are still standing. I remember David uh, Taylor telling me that there were people who were stealing those trees. I couldn't believe it. And I'm sure some were mowed to the ground accidentally. Construction probably took some of them. Maybe disease or insects. Imagine just for a moment what Highway 78 would look like if every time a tree was stolen, a highway department would have replaced it. And every time that one was mowed down, it had been replaced. Wouldn't it be a beautiful sight today? We want to talk about the tree of life. We all know the cycle of nature. We all know that our days are numbered. And I'm glad that for every funeral, every person who moved away, that the church at Olive Branch here tried to teach and convert other people. Because that's what we're about. We're about planting churches and planting Christians and passing it on to the next generation. So we thank you for being here today. We have visitors with us. Thank you for coming. We have some of our family here. Tim, who was about five years old when we moved here, is here with his family and our two granddaughters. And then I see Sharon. Uh, Leah is here, our oldest daughter. Angela is here, Carol's niece, and her daughter, Angela. Maybe others I haven't recognized, but thank you for being here. We appreciate it very much. We're going to have some pictures to show back in the back of not only our family, but also pictures that were taken when we lived here. You start out in the book of Genesis, and you have God creating the sun. You turn all the way to the last book in the Bible, and we just read that God will be the sun. There will be no sun there because God will be the sun. When you look at the book of Genesis, you see sin introduced. But you turn to Revelation, there will be no sin in that place that God has prepared. When you read Genesis, the first two or three chapters, the person who wins is Satan. But you turn to the book of Revelation, and Satan is defeated. When you look at the book of Genesis, what you have very clearly is that man does not have access to the tree of life. And for every heartache and for every pain that we experience, it's all because of sin. I know the Allisons are 
Jim Bob is feeling pain this morning. The walkers are feeling pain. There's a lot of heartache and pain in this world. But the Bible tells us that it's possible for us to have access to the tree of life. Jesus was put in a manger when he was a baby. Built out of a tree. And whenever Jesus went to the cross, he was nailed to a tree. Jesus was a carpenter. He knew about trees. Trees are a blessing to our lives. Except when we have to break the leaves, I guess. We don't like that. But you know, even that's a blessing because that's God's way of nurturing the soil, enriching the soil, and passing it on so the next generation will be rich so that it can grow and produce in the way that God intended for it to be. Let's think a little bit about this tree of life. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that we accomplished when we were here. And I hope it doesn't sound like bragging. We don't intend it that way. Because everything we did was because of God's goodness, and we did it for God's honor and his glory. He was good to us, and he blessed us. And you look around and see the things that have been accomplished. When we lived here in the five years, there were 43 baptisms, 102 restorations. I did 14 funerals and nine weddings. And we moved into this building. And when I look right across here and see this tongue and groove, I remember especially one man, his name was Alfred Robertson. He was 76 years old. And he outworked all of us who were younger, 30, 40 years younger. You're now enjoying a dry facility because of work like he did. There are people who banded together, who worshiped together, who honored God together. And they're not here anymore. And one of these days, there'll be a reunion, hopefully here. But we won't be here. But that younger generation will be saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember? You know, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? We've gathered around this table, and we've done, it, we've done it to remember. We've done it in order to encourage one another, to stay strong and faithful, and to recognize that there are wonderful days that are ahead. While we were here, we had Thursday school, a Mother's Day out. During that time, the church at Olive Branch, the reputation in the community, well, you don't do much. You just meet here for worship. But we started Mother's Day out, and we had to quit advertising. We took babies who were six months old up to five years old. We had about 10 or 15 volunteer workers. We didn't charge anything. 
We had over 60 babies. And whenever we had the graduation, I stood here and helped one that weighed about, felt like about 40 pounds. And uh, we talked about, and we sang together. And even to this day, the woman I'm married to is Miss Carol, and I'm Mr. Tom. And the reason we say that is because of those small children. This is Mr. Tom, this is Miss Carol. We've done that and still do that. A wonderful time that we had together. Sardis Lake Christian Camp, the week of July the 4th was the time in which they'd have maybe 10 or 12 students. One Aunt Payne and her family and others all banded together. Folks from South Haven, that next year, we had 60 or 70 campers. Now I understand it's probably the biggest week of the year. Some great things were accomplished during that period of time. I taught at the Memphis School of Preaching, and one of the things that I said to the students, I said, when you leave a place, this is preacher students, I said, when you leave a place, always leave so you can look everybody in the eye when you return. We left Olive Branch, but we left under good circumstances. And I'm thankful that we've been able to come back a time and time again. Because we love all of you and we appreciate you very, very much. Let's read a few passages of scripture. Let's notice this passage of scripture. And out of the ground, uh, the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2 and verse 9. But then you look at the next verse and after sin is introduced, God puts cherubims and he keeps out because after all God is holy, God cannot fellowship, man has now sinned. So is that the end? Is there no hope? Is there not anything that can be done? Well, if you'll notice in the book of Revelation that we just read about, there is the tree of life. So when you start out in Genesis, man sins. He is separated from God. There is no hope. He is driven from the garden where the tree of life is. There's going to be pain and suffering. So what is God going to do? Is God just going to say, well, you committed sin and that's it? No, you turn to the last book in the Bible and you see that there is the restoration of the tree of life. There is hope. Today, we are assembled together. We eat the Lord's Supper. You remember what the Lord's Supper is about? We look back to what he did on the cross. We look inside and examine ourselves. But we look to the future because he is raised from the dead not to die anymore. And today we have that same hope and that same confidence. So what happens between Genesis and Revelation? That's what we want to talk about just for a few minutes. Well, if you look at Genesis 3 
and verse 15. You have the first prophecy in the Old Testament about what God's going to do in order to bring us back in fellowship, make it possible for us this very day to know that our sins are forgiven, and if we die this very hour, heaven will be our home that we'll, see, we'll be with and we'll see the redeemed of the ages again. That is wonderful hope that we can have this very day. Because this verse right here is God setting in action what he is going to do for us. And today we enjoy the blessings because of what was started right here. So what is it that takes place? When we ate the Lord's Supper, we ate the bread that reminded us of his body. We drank the fruit of the vine which reminded us of his blood. Every Sunday, when we gather around the Lord's table, we think about the blood. And we should not be surprised that when you read in the book of Genesis, when God tells Cain and Abel to offer a sacrifice, the sacrifice that is accepted is an animal sacrifice. Not that an animal innocent and pure that has to die because we commit sin not that the blood of that animal has any power to take away sin God is starting in motion teaching and showing us that in order for us to come back to the tree of life there has to be someone or something that has to die and that person or thing has to have the power to forgive and restore us back to God. So whenever you look at the first sacrifice, you see Abel's sacrifice. You remember the story. Abel is a person who takes care of animals. He has sheep and he takes a lamb and he sacrifices the blood of that lamb. Cain, on the other hand, is a farmer, and he takes his tomatoes and squash and okra and whatever he's growing, and that's what he produces and offers to God. And God said, that's not, that won't do. God was not pleased with Cain's. Cain didn't do what God said. Abel did what God said by faith. Faith means that God told Abel what to do. Just like when we read the Bible, the Bible tells us what we must do to please God. Abel did what God said, offered a blood sacrifice, and Cain did not. Then the next sacrifice that we read about is the one in Genesis 22. And this is one of the strangest verses or strangest episode in the Bible. God had promised Abraham and Sarah, even though they were old, they were going to have a child. And that child would be a blessing to everybody. That child would actually lead to the coming of Jesus Christ. But God then says, I want you to take that child and I want you to treat him like an animal sacrifice. Abraham rises up early in the morning. He takes the fire he takes the wood, and he takes his only begotten son. Nobody else like him. 
the promised child, and he goes to Mount Moriah. That 12-year-old says, well, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice? You remember the response? God will provide. God will provide the sacrifice that will take us from losing the tree of life to regaining the tree of life. And Abraham ties that child down. He puts the wood around him. He's about to treat him like he would any other animal sacrifice. He would shed his blood. And God stops his hand. And he says, now I know that you believe me. And Abraham looks to his side and there's a lamb that's caught in the thicket. And he takes that lamb and offers it. You fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years. And hanging on the old rugged cross, there is God's Son hanging there. This time, God doesn't stay the hand of the people that killed his son. Why? Because he wants us to bring us back to that tree of life. He wants us to have hope. He wants us to have forgiveness. He wants us to have fellowship with God. He wants us to find that tree of life where there's no death and no sorrow and no pain and no separation. That's God's plan. But we don't know at this point too much about this sacrifice. What we do know is this sacrifice will make the difference between life and death. You remember the night that the children of Israel, after hundreds and hundreds of years in Egyptian bondage, they are now going to be set free, and the night before, they were to take a, a, a lamb, innocent and pure and spotless, not one that was sick and blind and, and uh, some kind of defect, but a perfect lamb. Take it and sacrifice it and eat that Passover meal. But you take that blood and you put it over your doorpost, around where you enter your house. And that night, every house that had the blood was safe. Every house that did not have blood over the little of the doorpost, the firstborn died. God is telling us the difference between living and dying, between spiritual life and spiritual death, is blood. Blood is the difference. Blood is what it's all about. Let's go, go forward. Look at Isaiah 53. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. It's a very clear prophecy about what God has set in motion and what God is doing. When you get to Isaiah 53, now for the first time you learn that it is not a lamb, it is not an animal's blood, you now learn it is the blood of a human being that's going to be shed. And so we read, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him as a tender plant, 
and as a root out of dry ground. He had no form of comeliness when we see him. There is no beauty when that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. Can you see Jesus Christ in these verses? He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That ought to humble us and make us grateful because God has sent his precious son in order that today we can have hope and we can have assurance and we can have confidence. The devil's not going to win. He is not going to be victorious. And then when we get to the New Testament, we learn that it's not just any man because you know, there are a lot of World War II veterans who gave their lives. There are a lot of policemen and firemen who sacrificed their lives. Wonderful people, brave people, but they have no power to take away our sins. In John 1 and verse 29, John the Immerser says, as he sees Jesus of Nazareth, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And there it is. God starts out in Genesis as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and said, here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the rest of the Bible and I'm going to show you how that you can get back to that paradise, to that place where there is happiness and no sin, where there is no death and no separation. I'm going to show you how you can be back in fellowship with me, that you can be with me. There will not be any pain and there will not be any sorrow and there will not be any more heartache. One of the things that I would like for you to do sometime is you're studying your Bible. Notice how many times in the book of Revelation that the word lamb is used. I didn't realize this, but almost every verse in the Bible, and especially the New Testament, that talks about a lamb, and it's using it in the figurative sense, not talking about a lamb that goes astray. It's always capitalized. It's always talking about Jesus Christ. Every single time. And so in the chapter that was read a few moments ago, 
I want you to just think for a moment about the statement that was made. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter. I am the beginning. This is Jesus speaking. I am the beginning and I'm the end. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is in Revelation 1 and verse 8. Revelation verse 11. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see and write in a book and send to the seven churches of Asia. Then in Revelation 21 and 6, he says, it is done. What is done? You remember on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. What is finished? What God started in Genesis 3.15. And you read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you go all the way through, and you see all of the stories, you see all the struggles, and you see all the things that's going on. What's God doing? This is his story. He is telling us how we can regain the tree of life. And so in Revelation 22 and verse 13, the last chapter in the Bible, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the first and I am the last. What are you talking about? We're talking about God's plan. God's plan to put us back together. And that plan involves Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Aren't you grateful today that we have hope? And even though our burdens may be heavy, and even though our sorrows may be more than we seem to be able to care, we know from reading the Bible that God loves us and that God is concerned about us and that God wants to save us. So starting out with Acts, the second chapter, people who had crucified the Son of God cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the Son for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise, what promise? All the way back. This promise is to you and to your children and to them that are far off. And with many other words did he exhort and testify, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and there were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. They remained faithful to the Lord. That's the challenge that we have. And our struggles let us understand that God is offering to us the opportunity to be with him in that place where the tree of life is available to all who love and serve him. And so this morning... We're glad that we can offer hope. We can offer salvation. We can offer assurance. We can tell you 
that there is hope beyond the grave. And so we sing this invitation song as a reminder of the importance of our trusting in God. When we are baptized into Christ, we're not trusting in that water. We're doing like Abel did when he offered that animal sacrifice. He wasn't trusting in the blood of an animal to forgive him. He was looking all the way down the halls of Carta and he could see. He could see Jesus dying on the cross because he's the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. So that's what we're talking about this day. And if you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, if you need the prayers of the church, if you need to come back home, come back home for good, come back home to be a part of the Lord's church here at this place and make it known to everybody, I love the Lord and I want to serve him and I want to be there where that tree of life is. If you need to respond, do so now. While together we stand and sing.